So today is the 4th of November. It's the day, or today we've come to chant together and to practice cultivating our minds. And it's an important day in Buddhism and specifically in Mahayana Buddhism. As Mahayana means the big vehicle. Uh, But both the traditions of Mahayana and Theravada, they're all there uh, for the same end, which is the realizing of Nibbāna. Perhaps uh, in Theravada, uh, people practice in order to free themselves from suffering first. And once, once they've done that, they then spread the teachings of the Buddha afterwards. Uh, but this Mahayana, the big or the great vehicle, it's the form of practice which happens together as a group. And that everyone reaches the end together, and no one just does it by themselves. So today is the anniversary um, of the day that Avilokiteshvara Bodhisattva uh, took or left the home life and uh, practiced uh, nekama, this renunciation. And so we have come together uh, to contemplate into the Dhamma. When we practice um, and cultivate our minds, then it can be useful to separate ourselves out from the rest of society in order to gain seclusion of body. And so we're not involved with other people. The reason that we do this, that we try to uh, put a bit of a distance between ourselves and others is for the sake of training our minds to uh, be firm in their peace. It means uh, that we're able to bring up this peace easier um, because there aren't so many sensations that are going on. And when our hearts are in a calm state, then we're able to contemplate, contemplate into cause and effect so that wisdom can arise. So the Dharma that the Buddha taught was all to do with cause and effect, with causes and conditions. And so the suffering that we all experience um, arises because of delusion, because of ignorance of each other. And it's this ignorance that uh, compels our minds to always be proliferating about a self or in terms of self. So if there is the presence of ignorance in the mind, then that's what the mind will do. There will be this, these mental formations uh, regarding a self that are going on all the time. And whatever we experience, whether we see something or there's a sound that comes in through the ears, an odor through the nose, um, a taste that touches the tongue, there's a feeling in the body or a thought that comes in in the mind, we take that all personally. So there's feeling that comes up, and there's this uh, nama rupa, the mentality and physicality, and taking the body as a self, 
and then the mental factors, so the feeling, the perception, the thoughts, and consciousness, taking all that to be a self as well. That we get deluded in these things, we attach to them as being me and mine. All of these five khandhas, the five aggregates. And when we have this nama rupa, then there'll also be pasa, this contact that comes up. And then there's a reaction of the mind to that, one of either pleasure or displeasure. And this is the Vedana, and we take all of that to be me and mine. So this is the process of avijja, of ignorance. And there's the proliferation, and then sankharas arise. And there's nama rupa, pasa, vedana, tanha, this uh, craving. Then there'll also be attachment. Then there's becoming birth. And then all of the kinds of suffering that arise from that, the old age, sickness, and death. So how then do we contemplate in order to know these things and understand them well? In this point, both the Mahayana and the Theravada traditions are the same. They will teach uh, this process of Paticca Samapada. Uh, both teach it. But it's not easy to understand it, however. And Lumpur Cha, he gave a simile about it. That if we just uh, study these things in the scriptures, then we can, we can separate it out into its parts. We say there's a vicha, there's sankara, and this goes on to the suffering that we have. But if our sati, our mindfulness and our wisdom, isn't refined enough, <coughs> then it will be difficult to contemplate it on any meaningful level. It was this Paticca Samupada that allowed the Buddha to gain awakening. That's how he attained to becoming the fully self-awakened Buddha. And so the wisdom that he had was extremely refined. He was able to contemplate into this Dhamma. So Lumpucha, he gave the simile of it being like falling from a tree. We're up on a very high branch and it snaps and we fall to the ground. And as we're falling, we don't have the time to count how many branches we've passed on the way. All we know is that we've fallen, and then we hit the ground, and then we feel pain. So when we, that's how it is when we try to take a look at the Paticca Samupada in all its different aspects, and try to understand it in this way. But really, what we need to do is try to have mindfulness here at our own minds, at the point where attachment arises. So we have this sati there, when the heart attaches to something, knowing that this attachment leads on to dukkha, because attachment is the cause of suffering. When we have craving, then there'll be attachment, and there'll be birth and uh, the various kinds of suffering, the sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. So we really emphasize this practice of having mindfulness 
at the point of the mind. Whenever our sense organs experience any object, whenever they experience any sight or sound or odor, etc., um, then that goes on to a feeling of pleasure or displeasure. From that, then there's attachment and a sense of self that comes up. So the mind then goes and clings on to uh, the f- this physical body or on to feeling, on to perception, thought, and consciousness. It attaches to every part of these five khandhas. These khandhas, we can say, are like aggregates or groups. So one of them is the body, and then there are four mental groups, and the mind attaches to every single one of them. And this is the exact point where we place our mindfulness, right where upadana is arising. We have mindfulness there. We teach our minds, telling our minds to look at it carefully, that these things are unstable, they're not sure, they're actually not a self, there's no me or mine there within them. And if we teach our minds effectively, then wisdom will arise and we'll be able to let go. We'll be able to abandon the attachment that we have to these things. So chago, the... uh, throwing away, the discarding of these things. That happens through perceiving the harm of them. We see that, or whenever the mind goes and attaches to something, then when we see that danger, the mind will drop it. So the harm that these things do have, we need to perceive that well. See how they give rise to dukkha within our minds. In its normal untrained state, the kilesas, the defilements, they cover up and bind the heart. But when we gain knowledge, um, then we'll know that this is the case. We'll be able to see that these things aren't any good, so the mind will return them. They'll drop them off and return them to the nature that they came from this nature of just arising and ceasing. So this is patinisako, the returning of these things back to nature. And then there's muti, the releasing, the putting down. We see that every single side of these things is hot. There's no place that we can touch them where it's cool. And so we perceive the danger of them. And in doing that, the mind will naturally drop them. There won't be attachment because we see the suffering that's there within them. So this is muti, the putting down, the dropping. And then there's analio, that there's no place for the defilements to reside. If there's attachments, then the defilements will have a residence. If there's attachment, there'll be birth. And then there'll be the suffering that comes uh, through having this life. And if we don't let go, if we still have attachment, if there's still craving, then the kilesas will have a place to abide. So therefore we need to cultivate our mindfulness and wisdom.
cultivate knowledge, contemplate and practice the Dhamma well. And so this is what Lumpur Cha taught. He taught the abandonment of attachment. And so that's what uh, avijja causes. Uh, this it gives rise to this whole cycle which leads to suffering. But we don't need to talk about it in detail like this, about every single step of the uh, dependent origination. But rather we just have a mindfulness, knowing here at our minds, knowing when clinging has arisen. And if we're able to do that, what that shows is that we're walking this path of sila, samadhi, and banya, and we're steadily abandoning this attachment. This gives rise to vimuti, to liberation, to putting things down, to returning the defilements, that there's no place for them to stay anymore. The mind is then empty, a form of pure emptiness, and this arises little by little. The vimuti, the liberation we experience, comes up gradually. If we gain wisdom, then we'll know this for ourselves. The heart then becomes free from all attachment. Through seeing that there's no me or mine there, there's no true self to be found in these things. But if we take things in terms of a self, what that shows is that the heart is deluded. It's deluded about the self, thinking that there is a self, and all the thoughts that we have are infected with the self. And wisdom just can't arise under these conditions. This is what avijja, ignorance, compels the mind to do, to take everything personally. But if we can gain enough clarity and stillness, then we'll be able to see that there's no self there. And when we see that the self is not self, that means that we've seen ourselves clearly. There's great joy in the mind that comes up through the emptiness of our hearts, and we'll be able to abandon the clinging that we have. When we do abandon this attachment, and there's great joy and happiness in the mind, it comes up through walking this path, through practicing the marga. At first, however, we may need to gain seclusion of body for the sake of our peace of heart. But we can do this in many different ways. We can train to give rise to calm through watching our breath come in and go through chanting, through reciting the meditation word of Buddha, or we can contemplate into emptiness as the meditation object that we're using. This is all for training our minds. And when we have the opportunity to stay just by ourselves, then we can use that. But it's also possible to gain internal peace, internal quietude with many other people around. We can just find a quiet place in our house Maybe we have room set aside for chanting and meditating. And that is seclusion there in our house. We have this peace of body in order to train the minds to become calm, in order to abandon uh, the defilements and let go of the clinging. Through doing this, the heart becomes empty. And this emptiness of heart is Nibbāna, which arises little by little. And if we're able to practice and reach this Nibbāna that shows that our heart has become free, it's freed from becoming from birth, from attachment, 
And so no suffering can arise within that heart. So we train ourselves gradually, steadily on this path. But when sila, samadhi and panya just have a little bit of energy to them, but the delusion and the ignorance in our heart has a lot of strength, then they will hold sway over our minds, and the heart will be a home for the kilesas. The kilesas will have ownership over our minds, and we won't have any freedom. So we contemplate into dependent origination, and what we mean by that is just to have mindfulness over this heart of ours. This is what we call jitta nupasana satipatthana, the foundation of mindfulness, having mindfulness over the mind itself, knowing the mind. And if there's greed, hatred, and delusion, if there's an attachment, a sense of self, then we know that. If there's no attachment towards any of the khandhas, then we're also aware of that. We see all of these states as something that arises and ceases. There's no permanent or lasting self there. When we understand this, then we've seen into anatta, not self. We see that feelings are just feelings. The mind is merely the mind. There's no me, there's no mind to it. And through this, we reach a pure emptiness, a place that isn't frantic, that isn't disturbed. The mind is just the mind. This is uh, the foundation of mindfulness, of looking directly at the jitta. When there's energy to our samadhi, then when contact arises, uh, we'll be able to know what's going on. So sometimes uh, we meet with gain and sometimes with loss. Sometimes we gain status and sometimes we lose that. So we just have our mindfulness there, knowing what it's like, knowing what that provokes within our hearts, whether our minds react through pleasure or displeasure, whether there's happiness or suffering that's arising. So when the mind meets with any of these worldly dhammas, then that's where we train our minds. We train them not to be shaken by these states. But that's quite difficult to do, however, to keep our minds centered when they are met with these worldly dhammas. So we train ourselves little by little, reaching Nibbāna little by little. Whenever there's liking or disliking, then we have mindfulness over that. We know that. We know everything that is going on in our minds because we're carefully observing them. And we see all the sensations as merely being sensations. And in doing that, the mind is able to abide above these aramanas, these sensations, which means that we've seen into the Dhamma. So as we keep a careful watch on our hearts, then our wisdom develops little by little. And this all happens because our sila is well established and we're very firm in our precepts, that we have kindness and compassion. And when our minds are imbued with metta and karuna, then they will just automatically 
have sila as well. We don't need to be so concerned about that. Because through kindness and compassion, we won't be interested. There'll be no wish to harm ourselves or to harm others. And this not harming of ourselves and others is in itself sila. We also have kindness and compassion through right view. So we maintain right speech, right action, right livelihood. And these are all the uh, virtue aspects of the Noble Path. It's important to understand that intention is sila. And that's what the Buddha taught, that this jetana, intention, it is sila. So therefore we keep a close watch on our intentions and we establish our intention well. When we do that, then we're keeping our virtue well. So when we have this kindness and compassion, um, then we will take good care of our sila. But for those who are really focusing on their virtue, sometimes they can get worried about it. And sometimes they can go a bit too far. And if they're walking and they step on an ant accidentally, or perhaps they're driving a car and they may hit a dog or a cat or a bird uh, may fly into the windshield, or perhaps it's raining very heavily and uh, there are a lot of insects about which the car squashes and uh, hurts. But the thing is, we don't have intention to do that. So that's where we need to um, have our focus, is on our intention. We didn't drive our car. We're not traveling in order to kill other beings. But if we think in that way, if we start uh, thinking it over, and consider that, well, if I hadn't gone out to travel, if I hadn't driven, then those beings wouldn't have died, and so it's my fault. This can just make the mind very stirred up and frantic, and it will be devoid of peace. So we need to understand that we didn't have the intention to do those things. We didn't act for the sake of killing other beings. And we also have to understand that all beings have to follow their own kama. So maybe we light a candle at night and there are uh, insects that fly into that, but we didn't light it in order to kill them. We didn't have that intention. So it's important to understand that this intention itself is sila. When we can consider in that way, the mind will feel calm and at ease, and we'll know that we didn't intend for harm to come about. But if we want for no animals at all to die through our actions, or if we want for no one whatsoever to become upset by anything that we say, we just can't do that. That's impossible. So we establish our sila well in our practice, but also make sure, sorry, through establishing our sila well, then we don't have to worry about our actions. Our actions will become a cause of peace. We'll have both peacefulness in our body and our mind. This then turns into, sorry, in our body and in our speech, and this then turns into peace of heart, which is samadhi.
And the samadhi is very important because it's what allows for wisdom to arise. And panya is what enables us to abandon, to let things go, to put things down. Sometimes a practice of sila samadhi panya, of virtue samadhi and wisdom, it's not enough. And at those points we have to forbear. While forbearing, we contemplate into the two qualities of hiri and otapa. So a feeling of um, shame around wrongdoing, or that wrongdoing is beneath us, and also a fear of doing things, of doing evil things. So we know that if we don't maintain our virtue, then the heart will feel ill at ease. It will feel stirred up and hot. And we don't do any actions um, that have harmful intentions. So there's this feeling of fear of wrongdoing, knowing that it will give rise to agitation of the mind. There won't be any internal peace. And we know that when there's no peace, then there'll be no samadhi. And if there's no samadhi, then there's no wisdom. And without wisdom, there will just be a constant sense of self, of me and mine, because avicca is always there in the heart, stirring up these feelings of self. So if we don't have these qualities of hiri and otapa, then there will be no fear over doing wrong actions. And the thoughts that we have, the harmful thoughts, will flow out through our actions of body and speech. Maybe uh, we have wrong view as well on top of that, and we think that when we die, there's nothing after that, so our actions in this life don't count for very much. And if people think in this way, then the world will turn into a bit of a mess. It will be a very confused and agitated state. There will just be a constant presence of greed, hatred, and delusion. And this planet will be a very difficult place to live on. So that we're all able to live together in this world is due to the presence of Hiri and Otapa. And these are the, and this forms into the basis of the path. When we train in our forbearance, this is also a training in this uh, fear and shame of wrongdoing. When we forbear with things, then our minds turn into the level of a deva. And these two qualities of hiri and otapa are the um, abiding qualities of the mind of a deva. And when we practice in them, then our heart raises up to that celestial level. And there's a fullness in the heart of the goodness that we've done, a fullness through sila and through dhamma as well. So we try to cultivate these qualities, try to bring up wisdom. Developing the mindfulness and samadhi that will allow us to abandon clinging. <clears throat> so we contemplate into this cycle of dependent origination. And we do that in our own hearts, having mindfulness over the mind. And this is the path of practice here in the present moment. And it's something that we can do while we're in society as well. We don't need to go off and stay by ourselves.
we have mindfulness in the present moment, looking at our minds, training our hearts. And this is something we can do even when we're speaking. We can still be mindful of our hearts while we're talking. So it's not necessary to stay just by ourselves. When we have the opportunity to do that, then we can follow that opportunity. Um, but when we're with people, then we maintain a knowing of our hearts, a knowing of this present moment. Whatever arises, then we contemplate that in our own minds and we'll be able to let it go. Even though we may externally be following the ways of society, we're also teaching our hearts at the same time, teaching them not to get deluded in these conventions. We may speak using conventions, but we teach our minds at the same time that they are merely conventions. Teaching ourselves that there's actually no self in them, allowing the mind to become empty, to abandon, clinging, and craving. So we cultivate this a lot. We are mindful, we contemplate very frequently. And it's especially important when our minds are agitated. We need to train them at those points. So we can do that whether we're by ourselves or whether we're, other people, we're with other people. We can cultivate this feeling of internal seclusion. It's not necessary to always be by ourselves. We develop this majima, patipata, the way, this middle way of practice, something that in the beginning we may not be able to do, but as we cultivate it, it slowly becomes something that we are capable of. We keep our practice even and steady, and the brightness of the heart develops. We'll be able to, and the mind, as we practice, will abandon the kilesas all by itself. So there's a knowing that arises, a wisdom that arises. And when panya does come up, then the defilements don't have a place to stay in our hearts because there's no self present. So when we cultivate this noble path, um, then there's no place for suffering to abide in when we reach the end of that path. So may all of you be sincere in walking this way, and may all of you uh, succeed in this practice. <laughs>